Hey, it's Brandon Laws. Welcome back to another episode of Transform Your Workplace. If this is your first time listening to the show, thanks for giving us a try. And thanks to all of you returning listeners. We've got a great show for you today. I have a returning guest and most importantly, one of my really good friends, Mark Mohammedpour. He's the owner and chief well-being officer at Chasing the Sun. And we discuss the role that managers play in talent retention and the overall well-being of their employees. So Mark offers lots of great tips about how new managers, existing managers can approach their leadership role with self-awareness and empathy for their people. You're going to get a lot out of this. Mark always speaks from the heart, and I just appreciate what he brings to the conversation. And he's helping so many people. And he's got a great story, too. So go check out his work and what he's doing. Enjoy the episode today, and if you'd be so kind to share this podcast with a friend, or if you can just go over to the Apple podcast application and give us a five-star rating, and a written review is great too, but you could just go to the app, click that five-star rating, and that's helpful too. So thanks for the support. Enjoy the episode with Mark Mohammedpour. Mark, it's great to have you back on the podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's great to be here once again, and just so excited. Well, you're up to big things at Chasing the Sun, and I wanted to talk about frontline managers. You had wrote a, a really good piece on managers and the importance of them, and there was a stat that you had in, in this piece. Gallup study showed that 70% of team engagements determined solely by a frontline manager. Does this stat excite you? Does it concern you? Like, what do you, what are you thinking about? Unpack that for me. When I see that stat, Brandon, it really installs the notion that we stay at companies for certain reasons. And a lot of that has to do with those who are our advocates. And for the most part, that's going to be our immediate manager. And when we think about leaving a company and when we think about those reasons why there's other data that looks at why we stay and it's beyond or leave, it's beyond total compensation. It's around career growth, advancement, support for our well-being. And a lot of that starts with the manager. So it doesn't surprise me, but I think it's important for our audience to recognize that, Brandon, that there's a lot of opportunity here for the relationship between the employee and the manager to grow and evolve because we know what that impact has for the whole employee experience. Do you think managers understand that this is their responsibility and like that 70% of team engagements determined by them? Do they know that? I think there's an opportunity for them to learn more and more about that, especially for those people who have not become a manager before. And when you suddenly get promoted or you are in a position where you're managing somebody, there's a lot to learn very quickly. And I think one of the first things is recognizing the role that you have. People look up to their manager. People want to model their manager and their activity because more often than not, not all the time, but more often than not, people want to grow in their career and move up the ladder or evolve. And part of that is following those who are leading you. And I think that's the opportunity, the information gap, Brandon, we have an opportunity to, to address. 
Yeah, the the stat by Gallup, it actually doesn't shock me because I've always felt like managers are probably one of the most important, other than, you know, contributing level employees and senior leadership, whatever. I think the manager level, especially new ones too, they play a humongous role inside of an organization because if depending on you have a good manager over here and a poor one over here, you might have these micro cultures of employee experience. And I think there's an opportunity, as you said, like new managers coming in to train, develop them. Do you, do you feel like there's a huge gap there with, you know, getting new managers up to speed? Uh, absolutely. You know, I come from the public relations world. So before I launched Chasing the Sun, I worked for, for global PR firms. One was called Weber Shanwick, one was called Edelman. And very traditionally, you rise the ranks. And once you get to a certain point, you are managing people. These are global companies. And what I talk to people about the experiences of particular companies, it comes down to sometimes geography, sometimes the type of work that you're doing within a large organization, but it ultimately does, comes down to the relationship with your manager. And that's how the reputation of that company grows is that experience with that direct manager. And so we have the opportunity, Brandon, especially in this, whatever era we want to call this post-pandemic era. I don't even know what we're in right now. We don't even want to define it, but the reality <laughs> is, is that it's not going back to this traditional, we're coming into a physical office five days a week, unless it's absolutely necessary. So what that means is that how we are building relationships between the employee and their manager has to evolve as well, because we were so used to being able to see and listen in real time how they were operating and were able to model that behavior for better or worse. As you said, there are some that are better managers than others. And I think that's a whole other discussion is determining what makes a good manager. But ultimately we have to stall some techniques in a virtual environment that may not completely replicate what that was before, but gets to a, a better place where we're able to build rapport and establish trust, which is really key in growing that relationship. I'm gonna die on this hill. I think that the the leadership tactics, strategy, whatever, the way we manage, it, it's all the same. It's just the the how has changed a little bit because of the logistics of it. Like, okay, now we got Zoom and Microsoft Teams and Slack, and we're like, we might have an employee across the country, like, you know, like I do. It, it's just changed a little bit, but not like how we manage and lead our people. Like we should still be coaching them and engaging them, right? Exactly. It's not going to be a 180 at all. It's, it's going to be similar, similar things. But to your point, we have to deliver them in different ways. We have to lead with empathy. We have to understand where, where people are coming from and understand their, their perspectives. We have to do things to minimize stress and anxiety for them. We, we are in the middle, Brandon, of a number of companies talking about layoffs and how those companies communicate those things to their employees is going to impact not only in the short term that employee, <laughs> Twitter, and others, but the relationship between the employee and the employer and their manager for the rest of their life. And so we have to think about the perspective of the, the people that we're working with. And if the pandemic's done anything, we've invited each other to our homes and we're able to get a sense and a glimpse into our lives and what we're having to manage. Those who have babies, whether they be fur babies like my puppy Molly or people with, with, with human children and some of the challenges that, that they have to deal with. And new managers who may be not as experienced, growing in their career, learning how to be adults, learning how to be professionals, these are opportunities for them to grow and be able to take a step back and say, okay, I have to think about this relationship with this person differently because now I'm aware of some of the things that they're having to deal with their life. 
Whereas before, when you come into an office, there's that separation. It was a little bit easier to separate that. And now that, that's not the case. For workplaces that struggle with employee engagement, we know it's likely managers contributing to that. Where do they go wrong when they have a lack of engagement? Part of it has to do with listening to their employees. I think this is one of the first things that we need to do, whether you are in HR and thinking about benefits or whether or not you're, you're trying to help communicate the value of an ask that, that you're making. If you're managing me, Brandon, and you say, Mark, I, I, I have this thing I need you to work on. What I would want is some context as to why this is important, what I should take off my plate, you know, in order to take this on. Or is me as the employee feeling empowered to be able to ask that of you, have specific deadlines, all of these things that come down to proactive communication that ultimately shows that you care, that there's building trust, and then subsequently the employee engagement increases. But it comes down to clear, concise communication that is is led with empathy and so that we're understanding the perspectives of, of others when they receive that communication. I don't know if I'm just personally invested in the topic of like well-being and balance at work and all that stuff or, you know, because often seek out that type of content because I think it's really important in the workplace. Do you think employers are coming around to that as well? Do you think I'm like kind of right in the sense that like people are actually talking about it more than ever? Absolutely. In my PR career and as I would see my peers and, and hearing from HR, we think about open enrollment, all the different benefits that would come through, whether it was gym memberships or healthy snacks or yoga sessions all good intentions, all with the intent to care about the employee. Well, the pandemic has really opened, I think, companies' eyes and be able to say, we need to care about our employees in a more holistic way. And so it's beyond just physical health. We have to think about mental, which is why we're seeing more support for therapy. We're seeing support for meditation. We're seeing more support for understanding what family needs are. Childcare is extremely expensive. And if companies heard from their employees that childcare was an issue, they should think about some solutions because that actually might keep people there. We have to think about the role of volunteerism and community, especially as we're at home and we're isolated. What does that mean for our social environment? And how are companies responding to that and supporting their employees to be able to go out and volunteer? Financial well-being. For so long, right, we see companies offering 401k and, and other options. But where's the support to help those new to their professional life or any phase of their life understand what to do with their money? When we think about money, that is one of the biggest spikes of stress and anxiety out there. So we have all of these pockets that I think before the pandemic were sort of kind of these disparate areas that HR, internal comms, finance, other departments were, were running. And now what we need to think about, Brandon, is a broader holistic look at employee well-being. And companies are starting to do that. And these are things that I'm working with companies on because they have all this information, but we need to be able to help design a strategic plan that takes data from our employees and say, what do they really need and want? Map that to the benefits that either exist or identify other benefit. Pair that with training and development options and, and to learn some of those soft skills. And then ultimately communicate that to employees. There's a lot of data that says there are a lot of uh, great benefits that are offered to employees as it relates to employee well-being, but they're not being used. And part of that could be they're not interested in it, but I think a large part of it, Brandon, is that it's not being communicated effectively. 
it seems like where we're coming from, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is your space, but it seems like there's boundaries set up. Like employers probably were worried about the employee's physical well-being, mental well-being, financial well-being. Like, like that's, that's on you, right? But now as we realize that all this stuff impacts how we show up at work, how we show up on our teams, our productivity, I think employers are starting to listen and starting to do something about these areas. Didn't it seem like that? Absolutely. As we're designing these plans, one of the biggest opportunities we have, Brandon, is to look through the perspective of the decision makers in the company, those C-level executives, the board of directors, and think about how they are looking at business objectives. And they're looking at the bottom line. So as it relates to items that we are designing as part of an overall employee well-being plan, we should think of obviously having people opt in and use it and like it is great. But the executives will care less about that and they'll care more about direct business results. Those are going to be things like impact to health insurance, how much paid time off is used because you have to keep that liquid on the books, productivity challenges, customer service. So if you have a a group of, of healthy employees, they're going to be feeling better. They are going to show up for their customers in a more consistent way. So these are the key performance indicators. These are a sample of key performance indicators that executives, board of directors, and, and key decision makers are going to care about. And so the opportunity as we're designing these programs is to keep that in mind and be able to map the journey, the result, to be able to say, this is going to impact the ultimate business goals. I mean, we just take paid time off, for instance, and I've, I've talked about this before, but I'll say it again. Americans don't take our paid time off. And I lead entire discussions on how to operationalize taking paid time off. And there's a lot of stigma that's happened over the decades and generations around taking time off. And I think that's getting a little bit better, but there's a real financial impact on not taking time off. And so designing a program, I'm just making this up, but to increase usage of paid time off by 10 to 20% over the course of a year can have a significant impact, not only on the bottom line, but also the well-being of the employees. It's a win-win. It comes down to communication and giving space and trust to your employees that it's not only okay for the business, it's going to be okay for you professionally, and you're going to be okay with taking time off. The sun will rise tomorrow. One of the values we have at Xenium is put people first. And we've always felt like you take care of your people, they're going to take care of the customers. But you can't, if, if you do it in reverse order, you're going to experience, I think employees experience burnout and they don't feel cared for. Completely agree. And I, I think when you're in a services business, it's very easy to be able to say, I got to help everyone else first and, and put myself last. And we have to reverse it. In order to take care of our people, our, our clients and our customers, we have to take care of ourselves first. And it seems like a very obvious thing to say, but we have to put this into practice. And it starts at the top with the executives. It starts with the employees. But back to what we were talking about originally, it is about that, that new manager. It's about the manager and the influence that they have on so many people. And it's one thing if the CEO or the executive suite, they genuinely do take time off. They go on vacation. They're not checking email. They're not on meetings. That's great. And then they brag and they, they share on LinkedIn and they're proud that they didn't email or take time off. I mean, good for them, right? What we need though, Brandon, is if that low-level employee, that junior employee, that, you know, that sole worker, that is reporting to somebody, are they going to be following the lead of that executive who's four or five levels you know, away? Or are they going to be looking at that direct manager 
it was impacting their raises, their bonuses, whatever compensation, all those factors, they're the ones who are the most influential and they're going to be following that lead. And that's why, Brandon, there's a huge opportunity to make sure that the new manager is prioritizing their well-being because it impacts the entire organization. Burnout, you hearing a lot of that topic lately? Absolutely. Tell me what's going on. Like, why are, why are people saying they're burned out? And, it, and is there a level of employee that impacts more? Like, are managers more burned out than employees or senior leaders more burned out? I don't, just give me some perspective on that. It's going to be very individual. And I think they're going to have different types of burnout for, for different reasons. One of the challenges with the manager, especially those who are becoming new to managing, is that their relationship with their job is different. If you're becoming a manager, one of the first things you have to do is realize you have to let go of some of the things that you've done before. I mean, if you're suddenly promoted, you're going to be taking on different responsibilities. Now, some of those existing responsibilities might carry over, but you're now going to have to delegate some of those responsibilities to other people and you're going to have to let go. And part of that is trust. And so part of that is having to redefine your relationship with your employer. Because if he takes too much on and you don't let go, that is not going to be good for your well-being and you're not setting up your people to succeed and, and to grow. And so when we talk about burnout, that level, that is absolutely key. I think the other part of this, Brandon, is we are still in this squishy phase, and it may be indefinite, in this era of hybrid and remote work versus being in the office. These are discussions I have with companies all the time. They want to have people in the office on certain days. We have to establish why. We have to show value to the employee. And that can burn people out. If, if we're constantly having to juggle different schedules and determine why, sell a reason for, for people coming in the office, that can get tiring very quickly. Also, when you're working at home, you tend to work longer. You're online, you're right at work, you have no commuting, you, you might not even have to get ready if you don't have any video calls, or you just get going. And then by the time you know it, it's 6 p.m. and you haven't gotten up, you haven't eaten, you haven't exercised. I hear this all the time. They may not feel like they're burning out in the moment, but as it builds up, they realize, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. When you think of like you personally, the reasons you're ever burned out, curious what you would say about that. Because I, like, I know for me, like the, the moments where I'm like, kind of like what you just described, you, you get up, you get right on the computer right away. You, you like start scouring emails, dealing with other people's problems. So like not even setting your own priorities. So like you basically already start the day on terms that aren't yours, meeting to meeting, staring at a screen all day, maybe not eating healthy and then getting lack of sleep because stuff's on your mind that you probably didn't get to. And that to me, like you do that perpetually and that contributes to a lot of burnout. What about you? And that's, that's how my feelings are. What about you? Well, I mean, you, you, one of the words that you said around prioritization is key. And I think this is one of the biggest opportunities we have, no matter if you're a new manager or, you know, independent worker or whatever, is be able to say, what do I need to do today? What are the priorities? What's important? Eat the frog. What's Yes. Because the more that we know what that is, the better that we can do it to be able to push back and say, no, this isn't a priority, or I'm happy to take this on. What should I you know, take off my plate. And so the opportunity for, for managers to be able to help empower their employees to proactively say or push back and say, hey, I'm not going to be able to get to that report unless I can take off a couple of these things. What's a priority? Because part of this is also just the optics around understanding that we don't know everything that everyone's doing. And we can't assume that a manager is going to know all of the work that all of their directs 
are working on at a particular time. I mean, of course, there's project managing tools to be able to do that and kind of look, but there's also the the real-time discussion and dialogue. That's harder when you are virtual versus in person. And so we have to make sure that we are asking good questions and that we're being very clear in direction that we understand what's important and, and, and why. And so to your point about not sleeping, we don't want to feel guilty about not getting to something. That's the worst. We should not be feeling guilty if we're working 16 hours a day, which we shouldn't be doing, but that's a whole other discussion. No, that's, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> right. But, but feeling guilty about not doing something, it's not that you didn't have good intentions. It's not that you were slacking. It's not that you weren't producing. It was just a matter of what the priorities are. And it's understanding that you, and you having your bosses understand that there's only so many resources that you have. But a lot of that comes down to communication. It comes with consistent, concise communication around what's important and why. There's a couple of tools that I, I like to use like when I'm feeling that way. One, I like to write a list of like everything that's on my mind or on my plate and then take it a step further. You put like time next to it. So if you know like a project's going to take you an hour, like you can just do the math and you know that like, okay, I've got people hounding me for tasks and answers on certain things and I got all these projects over here. Like just do the math. Like, do you have enough time in the day? And then you sort of have to work backwards a little bit. Like when you plan your next week or, or your next day, whatever it may be, you, you have to be intentional about what you're working on first and how you're blocking your time off. Because if you just keep accepting meetings and other people's priorities, you're never going to get to your own stuff. I cannot agree more. As someone who, who worked in the, in the pure agency world, I had to build every second of my day, even, even if it was billable to a client or not. And it's amazing over time how much you see what you're doing on particular projects. And so I think that's a great idea, Brandon, that you raised. If that's not part of what you need to do day in and day out is, is take a list and look at how much time it's taking to do particular projects, how much time you're spending in meetings, how much time in those meetings are on video versus audio only. How many are, are you leading? How many are you an active participant? How many are you an, a, a passive participant? How many are getting a value? How many meetings are you in because you think it's good for you <laughs> to be at your company? I don't, I don't mean to sound like this, no, but you're this absolutely is what people, right. people think about. And so again, this is a discussion to have with your team, with your bosses, with your directs, and really get to the point. And, and if we can, I'm just making this up, right? But if we can cut out 30% of people's participation in meetings, think about the impact that can have over the course of a month six months, a year, all because if there's proactive discussions around why people need to join meetings, why they need to be scheduled in the first place, how long do they need to be? Can we send pre-reads? So instead of everyone going around and giving status updates, we're all aware of what we need to talk about. And instead of spending an hour, we're spending 20, 25 minutes making a decision. All that adds up over time. And so we're then able to focus on what we need to, what to need to deal with. Love that. Um, let's get tactical a little bit on like what we can do for managers, especially new ones, like who probably don't have the tools and the resources to like be a great manager. But what are some levers that employers can use when developing a, a new manager and, and just setting them up for success day one? So I think one of the first things to think about is, uh, again, just let's say that you know, you're promoted to a new manager Brandon, tomorrow, one of the first things I would recommend is to sit down with your existing manager that you have and look at all of your roles and responsibilities and get agreement on what are you keeping and what are you delegating to somebody else? I think that's one of the first things is it's really this mental shift around what your relationship is 
with, with your employer. It's changed. It's a huge opportunity, but it's also something you need to really let go because you need to evolve what your relationship is like. I think the other thing to really think about here is putting yourself in the lens of somebody who's going to be taking over your role and reminding yourself of what you're experiencing when you started that position. And what are the things that you wish that you knew? And that could be just writing it down. And whether that's processes, whether it's feelings that you had, what, whatever they are, and really getting that down and be able to help walk through uh, the person that you're going to be managing as to what they're going to be doing. Make it as simple as possible. Try to put it in their shoes. And also understand the, the impact of empathy. And I keep talking about this, but it is important to understand the perspective of others and truly try to be in their shoes when they're taking on this uh, a new role. They could be excited. They could be nervous. They could be scared. They might be trying to follow everything that you did step by step. But in some cases, they might need to. In other cases, you might want to empower them to think about it in their own terms. And sometimes that's needed, especially kind of in a creative services environment. But regardless, it's just being very transparent and, and, and saying what those expectations are. I think those are going to be a really important framework to start off as a, as a new people manager. The comment you made about empathy, I think is a big one. It's un underrated, I think, with managers, especially new ones who might not have been able to flex that empathy <laughs> muscle very much. That That's huge because relationships are everything. And, and you need to be able to be there for your employees as they're going through tough times. And because they're going to, if you want people to bring them their whole selves to work and be productive and all that, you need to have a connection with your people. Cannot agree more. And it's not even just your colleagues. It's also your customers, your clients, your partners, you know, the, the folks that you're working with outside. Because uh, again, the way that we're building relationships in this era is different than before the pandemic. And we were obviously working virtually and, but this has become much more of a, of a standard. And Part of building relationships is building trust. And so one of my values is I'm, I'm going to treat you like a professional from day one. I, I tire of, of leaders who say, you have to prove your worth to me. And then if you pass some tests, then you're okay. I just, I, 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 if you're getting paid to do a job, I'm going to treat you like a professional from day one. And then you have to break your trust with me, which of course kind of rarely happens, but that's a big mindset shift for, for people. And I feel like it's an empowering thing for folks, but it comes down to empathy. It comes down to be able to look at someone's perspective and say, okay, they may be nervous, but I want them to feel like they're prepared to take this on and not have imposter syndrome. That's a whole other discussion we can have, but to be able to say like, you're prepared and you're better than you think you are. And we're going to help hype you up a bit. What tools or resources would you want to highlight for new managers or even like, you know, a lot of HR people listen to this podcast and they're supporting and trying to create layers of development resources for, for their people and give them uh, tools that make them a better manager. What things do you recommend that they seek? Well, one of the things that I've developed over the years is, is a series of discussions or workshops around various topics around well-being that when put together are going to help new managers become much more confident in building relationships and be able to set them up for success. So that's everything from your own personal well-being. We talked a little bit earlier around uh, you have to prioritize yourself. And so I have discussions with managers on what that looks like. We talk about leading with empathy. There are different types of empathy and we share some examples of what that looks like and talk about some you know, different responses that we wanna have as a result. Talks about toxic positivity, which is really important, especially as we think about communication and make sure that we're not in a good vibes only environment, that we're able to read the room 
which is really important, not only for our employees, but also for our customers and our clients and making sure that we're, we're there for them. Talked about imposter syndrome, the idea that we have to be perfect in everything that we do and it's never good enough and we're not good enough. And we have to take a step back and realize the impact you know, that we have on others. And I think some, some other actionable tools around, again, how to systematically take our time off. And this seems like a very specific thing, but again, I will tell you, Brandon, we are not doing it and we have to put in a system uh, so that we feel good about it and that people can go away guilt-free and come back feeling, feeling refreshed because that's not, that's not happening. I think the final thing that, that I'll share is around communication and making sure things, and I'm getting very tactical here, but email subject lines and how we utilize those. How do we use the first couple sentences in, a, in an email or a Slack message? Uh, sending calendar invite. If you send me a calendar invite, that said, they better have the purpose. They better it. have the purpose. If it says chat, <laughs> I'm going to be nervous as hell, right? <laughs> and there might be a good reason, and I and I get that. But let's put some context around how we're communicating. And and again, this is making sure that we're thinking about from the perspective of others. These are all things that are trainable that but but need to be discussed and given specific context and actionable steps. And so those are the, some of the things that I'm, I'm working with, with companies on, on introducing to their teams. And it's been a wonderful journey so far. I love it, Mark. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Where can people learn more about you or what do you want to point them to? Yeah, so you can visit chasingthesunpdx.com or email me at mark, M-A-R-K, chasingthesunpdx.com. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me at Mark Mohammed Poor there. Mark Mohammed Poor, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks, Brandon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.